Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We are getting towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and as we're turning there, I want to ask you an important question. I was reading a book this week by a guy named Dallas Willard, and uh, it's a little bit of a lengthy section, but I think it's important for us to think about, so I want to ask you this question as you're looking up the passage in Matthew 7. He said this, who teaches you? Whose disciples are you? Honestly. One thing is sure, you are somebody's disciple. You learned how to live from somebody else. There are no exceptions to this rule for human beings are just the kind of creatures that have to learn and keep learning from others how to live. Aristotle remarked that we owe more to our teachers than to our parents. Our parents gave us life, but our teachers taught us the good life. Now, it's hard for us to come to realistic terms with this. Today, especially in Western cultures, we prefer to think that we're our own person. We make up our own minds, and that is because we've been mastered by others and taught by others to think this way and to approach life in this way. Realistically, he says, you're probably the disciple of several somebodies, and it's very likely that they shaped you in ways that are far from what is best for you or even coherent. See, we've got all these influences in our life. We've got all these inputs. We've got all these sources of information that are telling us how to live and telling us how to live the good life and pointing to us in in one direction or another. And in that, we take all these inputs and we end up becoming this kind of conglomerate figure of all these different things that tell us how it is that we're to live. But what is it that Jesus said to his disciples? Follow me. See, really, we're we're called to be disciples of one master. And uh, Willard goes on to say that one of the important transitions in life is for us to actually recognize the inputs that are coming into our life and who's making us into their disciples, who's trying to make us into their masters or trying to become our master so that we might set those aside and follow the one true teacher, the one true master of our lives, Jesus. So as we think about this, we enter into this passage today. We're gonna look at some tough stuff here as we get to Matthew chapter seven. But here's what I, what I think is important as we, as we lean into this. I think it's important for us to start and step back and think about what Jesus has been teaching us as we've walked through Matthew five, six, seven in this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. Now for you and me, Jesus was, was coming to announce his king, that the kingdom of heaven has opened to all people. If you think back to uh, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, Jesus announces that very thing. And, and, and as he's beginning his ministry, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in that, there's an invitation that says, for all people, if they will turn from their own way and come after my way, the kingdom of heaven is open to you. And then we move into chapter 5, 6, 7. He begins to unpack this in the sermon that he's preaching. 
Now, the religious leaders of, religious leaders of Jesus' day, they weren't very excited about Jesus' message because they, they thought they had a pretty good idea of how things ought to work. They thought they understood how things ought to, ought to unra- unroll in terms of human history and how things, the, the teaching ought to flow from the Old Testament. And as they did, Jesus came. And in this claim, it was kind of a polarizing claim when he said, the kingdom of heaven is, a, is, is open to you. The religious leaders would push back, but Jesus spoke with authority. And there's this remarkable kind of interchange that happens there where Jesus was gathering groups of people who said, we want to learn about this new kingdom, this new way of living, this new way of being in the world that you are telling us about. And they began to follow after Jesus and that just upped the tension because the religious leaders felt some of their followers moving away and beginning to follow another teacher named Jesus. And so his disciples became their students. And in that, what they were saying was, we want to discover from you as our teacher how it is that we are to live and where the good life can really be found. And Jesus would say things like, come follow me. And and he's gonna show them how it is that they can live. Now in Jesus' mind, this makes sense, right? Because Jesus actually is gonna up the threshold. And when we get into this passage today, we're gonna see that Jesus says, look, this has high stakes for you. This is the difference between life and destruction. This is the difference between the good life and no life. This is the difference between a life of forever in blessedness with me and a life in isolation separated from me. And so Jesus, knowing his Father in heaven, knowing completely everything there was to know about God the Father, knowing exactly how the world ought to work and how it was going to unravel, says, you can trust me if you'll just follow me, if you'll listen to me, if you'll heed my words, if you'll do the things I say, you'll build a strong life and a fruitful life upon these things. So in Matthew 7, what we're going to see is Jesus is going to begin to give us several warnings. And these warnings are strong warnings because he's afraid that someone's going to lead us away, that they're going to take us off the path of the good life and lead us to a path that leads in in another direction. And so he's going to lay out these uh, these images. And in these images he's going to give, every one of them is kind of a choice. There's, there's two things to choose between, which means you only have one choice to make. You choose between path A or path B. And Jesus continually comes out and he gives us these images that pushes us into these either or scenarios. Now, a person either is going to enter through the gate of the kingdom or he does not. A person is either going to take the road that leads to life or he's going to take the road that leads to destruction. He's either going to, uh, to listen to a tree that produces good fruit or a tree that produces unhealthy fruit. He's either going to build his life on a foundation that can withstand the storms or he's going to build his life upon the sands that wash away during the storms. And Jesus puts these one time after another, comes with these either or, which way are you going to choose? And so as we're coming kind of to the end of his sermon, he's doing what a good preacher does. He's sort of up in the ante. He's raising the stakes. He's, he's trying to make you uh, lean in and really pay attention and saying, look, everything in your life depends on how you answer this one question. You yourself have to choose which path you want to run down. There's no middle ground. There's no third alternative. You're either gonna follow Jesus in his way or you're gonna go in the wide way of the world, which is easy and popular and well-traveled, but it's gonna lead you to, to destination where you don't really want to end up. Do you feel the tension? 
that Jesus is trying to bring. Let's get in and, and see this because the necessity of the choice is going to give us only these two options. And really, this is not something new in the Bible. The Bible's done this throughout, uh, through, really throughout the whole Old Testament as well. You see in like Psalm 1, there's the, the decision of you can follow along the way of the wicked or the way, of the, the way of wisdom. And those lead in two very different ways. You see in Joshua chapter 4, they lay out this path and, um, and he kind of puts down this command and says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And you have a choice. Are you going to go God's way? Are you going to go another way? And what determines the difference is what level of confidence you have in God. If you have confidence in God, you're obviously going to choose his way. If you don't, you're going to lean upon self and you're going to go a different way. And Jesus here speaks with clarity. And he really is hammering this point home. In fact, at the very beginning, what we're going to see is he, he begins this whole section with a command. He says, enter by the narrow gate. And there's this authoritative, imperative command. You, my followers, my disciples, those who say you're coming after me, you enter by the narrow gate. And so there's not really a, a choice, that, that there's a choice before us, but Jesus is telling us clearly what it is that we're to choose. And in this, there's kind of this upside down sort of thing that happens that's going to make this uh, a bit of an interesting passage for us to study. So uh, let's look at these verses together in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. For those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly, inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from th thistles? So every tree, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, this is the word of the Lord, and it's a tough word, isn't it? It's a passage that I think presses in on us and forces us to start asking some questions. And so let's dive into these things and look at these images. The first images that Jesus gives, he talks about two gates and two roads. And it's a little bit tricky at first to say, is this like a narrow gate that opens up to a narrow road and a wide gate that opens up to a wide road? Or is he just saying, hey, there's a narrow gate and a wide gate or a narrow road and a wide road? But the point's pretty obvious, right? There's, there's a narrow path that you can choose or a wide path that you, that you can choose. And so Jesus begins to tell us about these two different gates and two different roads. Now, the first is the wide or broad road. Some translations say easy. It's easy to go with the flow. It's easy to run with the crowd and, and to be in the popular group in that sense, right? Now, this way, the broad way, looks naturally more attractive. It's more comfortable. But you see what Jesus does. He flips it and says, man, it looks so comfortable, but in the end, it leads to what? Destruction. So he starts off and it feels great, but it's gonna lead you in another, down, down another road. It, you might call this the open road that leads to a dead end. This is, this is Hotel California, right? 
Uh, for you music lovers, it's a place that, you know, invites you in, but you can't ever get out and gets you in all kinds of trouble. And Jesus doesn't explain exactly what he means by destruction, but there's, there's a general principle we all understand, which is destruction bad, right? To put this on, a, on an elementary school level, uh, destruction bad, you don't want to go there. And Jesus says, when you go down the wide road, it leads you to a bad destination, now, the broad gate really, or, or this destruction is a terrible outcome. And think about the fact that God is a creator. God, God breathed life into us. God sustains our life. God sent his only son to show us how to live. And then to get to a place where we've rejected everything he says and gone to a path of destruction is really a terrible, awful thing. But Jesus says that's a reality for those who choose to go down the path of the, ride, of the wide road. Now, when you think about this road, what, what does it really mean? There's, when you think about the broad road or the wide road, it's the way where it's easy. It's really comfortable. There's no restrictions there. There's no, there's no curbs. There's no uh, guards. There's no walls. There's no boundaries. It's freedom to do what you want. In some ways, it's the way of tolerance and diversity that says, hey, you do you. You do whatever it is that feels good, whatever desire you have in your heart, you feel free to run down that path and you pursue whatever it is that you desire, you wanna do, whatever your mind sets it's on and go, I think I want that, you can run after that, you can do whatever you want, that's what the broad path is. That's what the wide road looks like. And in that, um, it, you know, it's easy to understand that, that no effort's required to begin on that road and then it's gonna be a well-traveled road. And so he says, there's a big broad road in contrast to the narrow road where he says, few will travel by it. Now, the tragedy here is that otherwise reasonable men become so enamored with the comfort and the ease of running down this path that they don't consider the outcome. They don't consider the destination. They don't think about the end of the road and where it's going to lead, lead in the end. Have you ever been to a sporting event or a concert or something where there's just a large mass of people and you get to the point where there's, you're surrounded by so many people, you can't see the signs and you aren't sure exactly where to go and you finally give up and go, well, I guess I'll just follow along with the crowd and assume they all know where they're headed. I remember leaving a concert in Chicago one time and we were trying to find our way back to the train station and it was, it was a pretty good amount, of, a pretty good walk to get there and we really weren't sure to get there and we'd done it during the daytime but you get out at nighttime, we came out a different side of the state, the arena, we weren't sure exactly which way to go and eventually we kind of looked and went, well, there's large groups of people all going that way, why don't we just follow along with them? And you just kind of get sucked along with the crowd, don't you? That happens in life too. You look and you go, well, Surely if that many people are running after all these things, it must be okay. Surely that must be the way to go. Surely if I'm in the crowd, then I'm running down a good path. And so we run in that kind of a direction. Now, what we see here though is pretty obvious. It's easy for us to get lulled to sleep and get sucked into this path, but not recognize where it really ends up. Don Carson's got a great illustration that he uses uh, to, to explain really the difference between the narrow road and the wide road. And in this, uh, he takes, a, imagine a cone. And if you imagine a cone that's got a small opening on one end and a big opening on the other end, uh, you can imagine being, uh, going into the opening on, on this side and it's easy to get into this opening. And you think, man, there's so much freedom here. There's so much space. There's room to operate. I can do whatever I want. This is really nice. But then as you move through the cone, what happens? you find yourself at a place where everything gets pinched off, where everything gets left behind and you find yourself in a place where it doesn't lead you to the freedom and, and the, the expanse and all the things that you thought you had. Now, if you flip that cone around and imagine it this way, you enter in through the narrow side, what happens when you start at the narrow end? You have to surrender everything at the front, don't you? 
You have to give everything up. You have to sacrifice, say, I'm gonna let go of everything and just be happy to get in through the narrow gate. But then as you walk through the narrow gate, everything begins to open up. And all of a sudden there's freedom. All of a sudden there's expanse. All of a sudden, all the things you thought you lost, you find, and I've actually got them all back. I'm actually receiving all the things that I thought I had to surrender. The difference is when you go in this way, you try to hold on to everything. And at the end, you end up in a place of destruction. You have to surrender all the things you thought you got to keep. When you go, when you start off with the wide road, but when you start off on the narrow road, you have to give up everything in the front end. You go, well, I'm coming with nothing but myself. I surrender everything to you, Lord. And then once you get through the narrow gate, all of a sudden you realize, man, there's a lot more freedom and joy that's available to me on the other side. So when you think about that, uh, that kind of concept, that picture, I think it's helpful for us to begin to think through what that means. See, that I think the point Jesus is trying to make that is if you build your life upon yourself and your own desires, then you're unlikely to release the things that you identify with. But if you've built your life on, uh, if you hold on to them and you refuse to let them go, it's gonna be like Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Remember Gollum in Lord of the Rings that he's built his identity on this possession, this, this precious ring that he has and, and holding on to his precious and refusing to let go. It's actually made him less human. And he's, found, he's found that that thing has actually trapped him in, into, a, into something he can't escape from. But it's only in releasing those things that we actually find life, that we actually find joy, that we actually find freedom. If you're building your life upon self and your own desires, the, the, the reality is that you're gonna wanna go in through the wide, the wide road where you can hold on to all those things, right? But what happens in the end? It, it doesn't lead you to a place of freedom where you get to keep all those things. You actually have to let them go and you surrender them. But if you start off on the narrow road and you surrender those things and say, Jesus, I'm happy just to follow you. I'm happy to trust you with my life. I'm happy to trust you that you're gonna lead me to a place of, of, of abundant life and joy. Then when we, when we surrender those things willingly on the front end, we find that we receive all those things as we move on throughout life. So what is it, the, why, kind of how does, how does this play itself out in reality for you and me? There's a whole lot of people that build their lives on, on, on their sexuality, on power, on money, on popularity, on influence. And when we try to build our lives on those things and we, our hearts are committed to those things and our identity is built on those things, we hold on to them, we refuse to let them go. And if we don't let those things go, we're forced to walk in through the wide road. And so we, we, don't, we don't release those things because they're at the center of, our, center of our lives and our heart becomes divided on them. But on the other hand, if you take the narrow road, you choose to willingly give them up then you receive them on the back end. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It's the same idea. When we prioritize the Lord, when we prioritize the way of Jesus and we say, I'm gonna seek first these things and I'll surrender everything for him. What we find is that all the other things come back to us in greater measure. And we don't, have to, we don't give them up in the same way. So if our heavenly father has our hearts, he has our whole person. And then he's free to give us gifts. It's important that the order of how things go. Either you're gonna hold on to stuff and you're gonna be forced to surrender them through the destruction that comes at the end or you release them willingly and you're able to receive them on the other side. So let's think about the other road, the narrow road. The narrow road is small and some translations call it hard, meaning it's the hard to enter way. It's the hard to begin way. And in that, uh, it restricts travelers to God-given boundaries. This is a, a road that has guardrails. Um, 
remember going to, to London and when we were in London, uh, you know, one of the things you start to see with things that were built centuries and centuries ago is that I think people were just, you just had little people back then. Like people were just smaller. They were skinny people back in those days. I remember going to London and we got all this luggage and you got all your American bags and you got all these things. I remember trying to climb up this one particular staircase and it's like these two little walls that you barely fit through. And you got all these luggage and you're trying to like get up through, through the, the staircase and it's impossible to get up the narrow little staircase with all your baggage. That's kind of the picture that Jesus wants us to have. That this is such a small path that, that you fit through but nothing else. You have to relinquish everything else in your life in order to get through this path. And so when, when, would you, when would you give yourself to that kind of a decision and choose the narrow road? Well, you'd only do it if you really believed the one that led the way, right? If, you, if you're confident in the Savior, if you're confident in what Jesus said, if you're confident in his wisdom, if you're confident in his ability to navigate this, if you're confident in his ability to give you good stuff on the other side, then there's gonna be a freedom to say, well, I'll let all this go and just simply throw myself on you, Jesus, I will trust you. And you'll wander through the narrow path. Now, do you see how that works? See how that, that t turns it around, whether you take the, the wide road or whether you take the, the narrow road? Now, maybe it helps to go back and think about Jesus' first disciples. Remember what Jesus did? He came to some guys that were fishing in a boat and he said, what? Follow me. And they did, what'd they do? They did it, which seems kind of weird to us, right? I mean, like, that's, it's not a very good employee just to leave your nets there and get up and go wander off. Like if you're, you know, Jesus shows up at your cubicle and you're sitting there at your computer and you're typing away and he says, hey, follow me. And you go, okay. And you just check out and you don't clock out. You just leave and go follow Jesus. It would seem kind of a strange thing in our day. But in that day, they understood that there was something different going on, that there was a, a rabbi, a teacher, someone who knew about the good life uh, had, was welcoming them, inviting them to become his followers. And someone who followed a good teacher uh, would, would actually leave everything. They drop everything and said, I want to go be with him so I can learn from him how to become like him. And so that's the path that they would, that they would follow. And that's really what Jesus is doing when he invites us to follow him as well. He's saying, hey, come follow me so you can learn from me how to become like me, which is where the good, li the good life is really found. That's what he's been teaching about here in the Sermon on the Mount. And so when you think about that, that really is the goal for us. And it's why Jesus is so adamant at the end of his life to say, look, if you follow me, you'll find the good life. If you don't follow me and you follow the way of the world, you're gonna find a way that leads to harm. It's gonna lead you to pain. And so um, for us, we might be tempted to think Jesus is telling us about something new, but really he's been calling us to this through the whole Sermon on the Mount, hadn't he? He's saying, I don't want you to have divided hearts. I want you to have hearts that are wholeheartedly mine. I don't want you to have uh, multiple priorities in life. I want you to have, seek first the kingdom of God and trust in me and then I can give you the blessings that you need. And it's not because he's holding out on us. It's because he knows this is the only way for us to enjoy fully all the things he wants to give us is to come with a wholehearted trust in him. So that's why in the next pass, pass, uh, section, he's actually gonna warn us about false, false teachers. Because the broad way and the wide road is full of false teachers that promise you things they can't deliver on and they promise you life that, that they're not gonna give you. They're actually, it's actually gonna lead you astray. And so um, Jesus is gonna point us in a new direction and make sure we're paying attention to the teachers we're following. So in verses 15 to 23, you notice he's gonna talk about two trees. He's gonna talk about two different teachers. And he starts off talking about wolves and sheep's clothing and then he goes to good trees and bad trees. Um, and he gives us a warning here. He says, beware, watch out. And he's warning us because he expects there to be dangerous teachers out there. 
Uh, one guy said, you don't put a beware of dog sign on a fence if all you have is a couple cats and a goldfish, right? I mean, so he's warning you about something because false teachers exist and we need to be careful because they do great damage. And they come like a camouflaged enemy sneaking in amongst the ranks. They externally, he says, look like sheeps, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Um, what's, a, what's a wolf do to a sheep? He eats it. Right? He uses sheep for his own purposes and for his own good. He, he doesn't bless the sheep. He doesn't do good to the sheep. He doesn't care for the sheep. He manipulates and abuses the sheep for his own, uh, for his own enjoyment. This is the hard part about recognizing false teachers, though. He says, because they come in looking like sheep. They look just like everybody else. And so they lure people to their path and they entrap them through their deception. But on the outside, everything looks just fine. But inwardly, you notice what he says about them? They're ravenous. They're dangerous. They'll do great harm. And what, we, what we're to understand is there's a great number of people who will check all the right doctrinal boxes and they'll say all the right things and they'll look the part, but they do great damage to the people of God in the ways in which they operate and the ways in which they live. And the problem is not just that they're deceitful, that they're harmful. And just like the wide gate and the wide road led to a path of destruction, following or listening to a false teacher leads you to a place of harm and destruction. Um, friends, we, we really are seeing a reckoning happening in our day, aren't we? Um, you could probably list off names you've seen in the news. People that, that we've seen, you probably, some of you are listening to podcasts, you're listening to all kinds of things, you're reading things about leaders that have fallen and leaders that have taken advantage, leaders that have abused. And that's true in religious circles, it's also true in irreligious circles. We have Me Too movement and we have Church Too movement. Uh, we see these same problems in politics, entertainment, finance, universities, and the Olympics. We heard uh, over and over about the gymnasts and 500 gymnasts that were abused by a doctor that was there supposedly to take care of them, provide medical treatment and help them to a place of health and took advantage of them. And we're seeing a reckoning of those that were pretending to be in a place to do good that have actually done great harm and it's just un, seems like one after another after another unveiling. And it's proving that Jesus knew what he was talking about, isn't it? That there's people who look good on the outside, but inside are ravenous wolves and they're devouring other people and taking advantage of them and using them for their own good. And so Jesus says, beware, watch out for false teachers. You need to recognize them. And then he goes on to tell us, um, tell us how it is we can recognize uh, these false teachers. He's gonna shift analogies from wolves and sheep's clothing. He's gonna to go to trees and he's gonna talk about two trees. He says um, in, in, in that there's, there's good trees and there's bad trees and there's trees that can only produce the fruit of the kind of tree that they are. And in, in their world, they understood that a certain kind of thorn bush looked like a vineyard at the beginning and a certain kind of thistle looked like it was gonna be a fig tree down the, down the road. And so if you're off in the distance and you see it, you might not be sure which kind of tree it is, but over time, as you wait, as you see the fruit either emerge or not emerge, you're gonna realize that a, a thistle can't produce figs and a thorn bush can't produce grapes. And so and what kind of tree it is, is really going to be revealed. That only a grapevine is gonna produce grapes and only a fig tree can produce figs. But it's not just the, the kind of tree. He also talks about the quality. He says, look, an unhealthy or diseased tree is just gonna pr produce bad fruit. A healthy tree, though, is going to produce good fruit. So it's also the quality. So it's the character of the fruit, but also the quality of the fruit that's determined by the tree. And what's he saying? Saying that he's doing kind of what he's done through the whole, uh, 
throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount where he's doing this, this separation between kind of the externals and the heart, what's on the outside and what's on the inside. So with the wolves, he says, look, they look good on the outside, but on the inside, their heart is evil. With the trees, he says, look, they can look good on the outside for a little while, but if it's diseased on the bottom, then what's on the inside is not gonna produce anything good. What's on the inside, the heart, is what ultimately drives what we see on the outside. And again, he's, he's saying this external appearance of faithfulness is not enough. It's gotta be embraced. It's gotta be a heart that embraces our heavenly father and trusts him and has confidence in him and lives for him. That that's ultimately the thing that drives us. Remember in John 15, Jesus says that we're to abide in him and whoever abides in the vine will bear what? Will bear much fruit. So there's a, there's a sense in which people ought to be able to do this, but if there's a problem that, that, that's at the roots, uh, the roots are gonna be revealed in the fruit. So if the heart's healthy and whole, it's gonna yield something good. But if it's not, then that too will become evident. See, false teachers eventually show who they are, don't they? They, they eventually reveal who they are, and it's, um, it, it may not happen immediately, but eventually their character and their influence will begin to be seen for what it is. The scriptures say that, that sin will be, always be brought out into the light. And so eventually these things become recognizable. But here's one of the dangers in our day that I'm seeing is that distance decrease or increases our risk to false teachers. That when we live in a world that's full of uh, internet, uh, internet messages and uh, video, and when we live in a world that's kind of mega movement centered and celebrity driven, there becomes this distance between us and the one, the, the one that's teaching us. And we don't, we don't know them, we don't see them, we don't interact with them, we don't get to know those things. And that distance creates, makes it even harder for us to recognize what kind of tree they really are and what kind of fruit is really emerging. And so I think we need to be even more careful in our day because we, we, we have these sources of input and these teachers and influences that come at us from all these different angles and we don't know them from Adam, but they're still coming our way. And so I think there's even greater risk for us. But what Jesus is saying is we need to look and we need to be careful. So I wanna deal with one potential tension here because there's an element uh, of time that may not be obvious. It's funny that Jesus starts off and he says, look, uh, they're, they look just like sheep, so they look just like you, you won't be able to recognize them, they're hidden. And then he turns around and says, hey, recognize them by seeing their fruit. So which way is it? Do you, are we able to recognize them or are they hidden? Because the, the reality for us, for you and me, is that someone who's a really good false teacher really masks what they're doing well. And they're successful in looking the part. They're successful in doing good. And we're gonna see the ramifications of that in just a minute, but it's hard to discern. And the thing that I think we have to say is that, that, that eventually we will see them for what they really are. Eventually their character will be known. Eventually we will see the effect and the impact of their life. It may not even, ha it may not even happen for a generation. Oftentimes false teachers do really well for a season, but it's the next generation that all the, all the pain shows up, or a couple decades later that all the difficulty begins to reveal itself. And ultimately, all things will be revealed at the judgment, right? Where God will make all things known and all things will be brought into light. And so uh, that really is where we, uh, where we see that Jesus points us here at the end. And you get to verses 21 to 23. We're gonna see as Jesus is begin to make a shift and he's gonna, and his, he's still talking about false teachers because they make a slight shift. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And here he's talking about teachers that, man, they look the part, they're playing the part, they're playing a spiritual role, but they're gonna actually end in a place that brings great destruction upon their followers. Notice what he says though. 
Um, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the false teachers. Um, I wanna point out a couple things about these false teachers. First is that they appear polite. Um, John Stott pointed out some of these. I thought they were really helpful. They appear polite. You notice what they, how they address Jesus? Lord, like they're, 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 they're being respectful. Uh, they definitely look the part. They're also convincing. Let's just say it twice. Lord, Lord. So they're, they're convincing in what it is they say. Uh, they're orthodox. They know the right doctrinal words and terms. They appear successful. Uh, they do spiritual stuff. You notice what it says that, um, Lord, Lord, did, when, you know, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do mighty works in your name? They, they, they appeared very successful in a religious or spiritual sense. They could point to their religious scorecard and go, hey man, look at all the stuff we did. We did a lot of really good stuff, which is what false teachers t- tend to do. Don't look at me, look at the stuff. We did great stuff. Look at, all the, look at all the good we did. You can trust me. They also appear very confident. He looks at them and goes, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things? So that there's a sense in which they're, they're polite, they're, uh, they're, they're convincing, they're orthodox, they're successful, they're confident, um, but they're masquerading as a powerful prophet or a passionate preacher and the whole time their heart's far from the Lord. You notice what he said, did we not do all these things in your name? See, they understood the way to play the game. They understood the way to look the part. They understood how to look like sheep, but inwardly, they were, um, they were devastating. The reality is that they, they clearly expected entrance into the, into the kingdom. That may be the most terrible thing about it is they thought they may be good, but not only were they deluding others, they may have been dealing with self-delusion. They thought the loudness, the emotion, the miraculous, the exciting, was enough, but they lacked a true heart that had ever embraced faith in Christ and in the, in the way of his father. One man called them religious extroverts who convinced themselves that success and spectacular victories are more important than the nitty gritty of consistent discipleship. See, they're focused on all the stuff and the scorecard, but their hearts are not wholeheartedly learning to walk in the way of Jesus and to trust him in his grace in his life. 2 Timothy 3, 5 warns us about people who have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. They look like one thing on the outside, but on the inside, something's different. You notice what Jesus says, and there's a play on words here where, um, where they were saying to Jesus, you know, did we not do all these things? And Jesus said, well, uh, he's gonna say, well, I declare to you, uh, meaning I'm, I'm gonna say, let me say to you, let me confess to you the truth. Let me declare to you that which is true. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Now this phrase, when he says, I never knew you, is, is a really important phrase biblically. It's a really weighty personal relational thing. When he says, I knew you, it's not just I intellectually was aware of you. It's saying, I, I know who you are. I have a connection with you. I'm, relation, I'm in friendship or relationship with you. It was used sometimes, that, that word's used sometimes for uh, sexual intimacy. It's that intimate. And when you come to thinking about the people of God, oftentimes this is a term that was used to describe God's covenant relationship, those that he's entered into a relationship with. And Jesus looks at these false teachers and says, depart from me, I never knew you. We were never friends like that. We were never connected by faith in your trust in me. And so he says, once again, this is a problem of the heart. On the externals, you looked okay. But on the inside, you were distant from me. And I want the whole you. So he says, depart from me. Separation and isolation from God is the hell-bent life 
I want to do it my way. I want to do it on my own. I want to decide whatever direction I want to go. I want, I want to hold on to the things I want to hold on to and never relinquish them or let them go. I want to run after all the things that I want. I want to do it, in, I want to do it by my own strength and my own power. And sometimes we might say, like, maybe I'll even try to add a little bit of God, a little bit of God with me, but I still want to be the master of my own soul and the captain of my own life. And Jesus says that way won't work. That's the wide way. But in the end, that leads to destruction. The only way to truly follow me is to relinquish those things, to surrender them on the front and say, Lord, I give myself to you. And when we do that, then we receive back um, multiple times over the good that he wants to give. Friends, we're seeing the damage in our day, aren't we? of false teachers, of those who are leading people astray, those who are saying all kinds of things, promising all kinds of things, doing all kinds of things in the name of Jesus. But it's not real. And when it happens, it causes harm and deep wounds and deep mistrust and deep doubt in the church. It's hard for me sometimes to say with a straight face, I'm a pastor. Because so many pastors have led people astray that I just know there's, when I say that, I've got to overcome huge hurdles to develop trust in people because of the damage that's been done over and over and over. And here's where I think this leads us. Jesus says, depart from me. He lets people go and says, if you wanna go the way of yourself, I will allow you to go in the way of yourself. But in the end, it's not gonna lead you where you wanna go. But if you come and follow me, it will lead to a place of life and not just good life, but or not just life, but abundant life. And he's gonna end this with another image. When we're gonna look at this next week in verses 24 to 27, he gets to a last image. He says, you can build your life on a foundation of rock that's strong, that withstands the storms of life, that stands the tests of time, or you can build your life upon the sand and the sand crumbles when the hard times come. The two houses though look identical, don't they? The two houses, there's no difference between the two houses. The difference is what are those houses built upon? Friends, that's the choice before us. What are you gonna build your life upon? Your life may look a lot like the lives of others around you, but you have a choice to make. We have to choose. Will we enter the, which gate will we enter? Which road will we travel? Which teacher will we trust with our lives? Which foundation will we build our lives upon? Um, and we have to choose whether we're gonna trust the wisdom of, of Jesus, or the wisdom of the world. You feel like you've made that choice? Feel like you know where you are? Is your confidence in the Lord high? The disciples chose to follow Jesus. They followed him because they saw his life. They heard his teaching. They watched the impact he had on others and they found him worthy of giving their whole lives to. And so they ran after him. At one point he said, are you gonna go away like all the others? And they said, Lord, where else would we go? We found the one that has the path of life. And so they trust him. Now you and I have even more reason to follow him, don't we? Than they did. See, because we can see the cross and we can see the empty tomb. And we can always trust a king who's willing to lay down his life for his subjects. And we can always trust a king who raises himself from the dead. It's a good, good rule of thumb. Always go with the guy who raises himself from the dead. Like you, you can always, you always wanna be on his side. And so as we look, we get to see the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the ways he's influenced everything. But we also get to see that he willingly laid down his life for us so that we might have full life and we see that he rose victorious over sin and death so we might have eternal life. And so friends, can I just encourage you when, to think about the cone? You can hold on to all your stuff, but you're gonna have to give it up someday 
You don't get to take it with you. Um, or you can come around the other way and you can surrender it on the front end and say, Jesus, nothing in my hand I bring, all to you, uh, only to you I cling. And you enter through the narrow road. And what we find is that he gives us incredible blessings, blessings upon blessings, more than we can ever think or imagine on the other side. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that we would be people who trust you, that in the hard uh, truth of this text, that there is a narrow gate and it's a hard way and few will follow. Father, would you allow us to be people who surrender to you and just say, Lord, we wanna give you our whole hearts. We trust you without reservation. We trust you with confidence. We trust you uh, knowing that you laid down your, your life for us, Jesus, and uh, that you're victorious over sin and death on the cross. And so you held nothing back and we will hold nothing back from you. And Father, we trust that through Jesus and by your spirit, that will lead us to life, life that is abundant, life that is forever. We pray this in your son Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for this redemption sermon. For more resources and information about Redemption Church, visit redemptionokc.com and follow us on social media.